A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'd like to begin this podcast by recognizing the traditional owners of the land in which it is recorded. I pay respect to their elders past, present, and those emerging. No, we've got these people already. It's like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I've had that with Nova a few times where people have just asked me to be a caller. Like, yeah. have actually asked me to go, they'll have a topic, and then they go, can you call in with something? I've yeah. gone out into the hallway and called. Hey, Josh Earl, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. <laughs> this is how I start the podcast. I ask a question that I always say is a simple question, but it's absolutely not yes. a simple question and almost impossible to answer, but I like to see what people say. The question is, do you think that nature or nurture has had a greater impact on you? I was, oh, I reckon I'll change my mind as we go, Great. but at the start, I'm going to say nature. Nature? Yep. Yes. Where did you grow up? Oh, sorry, I grew say. up in Burnie, Tasmania. I only say that because... My brothers and I are all very normal, I'm yep. going to say, and my parents are a bit wacky. So the fact that we grew up in the same place means we, I don't know. It, it, yeah, are they eccentric? My parents, oh, not eccentric, just, just set in their ways and, yeah. I mean, my, yeah, my family members, there are family members who are eccentric. Yep. My nan was great. She was very much... Uh, every Christmas would go off into her room and come out with like shaving cream all over her face for no reason. Just a bit of fun. Yeah, no, no yeah. reason at all. Uh, and my on my mum's side, uh, oh, they were a bit. They were very you know hard living country kind of folk who yep. were like didn't really play up. But they had their own eccentricities in terms of. One year, my nan thought her wood was getting stolen. She had like sheds and sheds of wood. She just had a, chopped wood. Yeah, she had yeah. a fire going all year round. Right. That was the time. And because she would smoke inside and so the fire would get the smoke smell out pretty much. Okay. And so I remember me and my cousins and my brothers once when we were like, I would have been nine, ten years old, mm-hmm. setting up booby traps all through her wood, her making us do this, put like fishing line and hooks and all that kind of stuff because she was convinced someone was stealing her wood. And she even wanted us to put like, like uh, gunpowder, like drill a hole in the wood and put gunpowder in it, and then right. put a put it back out. So whoever put it on their fire, their chimney would blow up. And we didn't do that. We said no. We better not do that, Grandma. Yeah, That's, that might be too much. You winked at me when you said we didn't do that. Yeah. So I know that. <laughs> no to follow. When a friend of mine first met my parents, they sent at some point they were like, "Oh, you make sense." Like yes. you know, when you when you finally meet. Someone's uh, parents, you're kind of like, oh, you make sense. Do you think that that you're that way? I've had where me and my brothers, all our partners, when they talk, they're yep. like, it is incredible that these boys are pretty normal, standard men, right? With what what they're growing up with, <laughs> the stories that come out about it when we were growing up, yeah. And it was a different time. It was like that. Gener- like I'm 41, so it was like real. Go off, come back when it's dark, yeah. when you're hungry for dinner. Go yeah. ride your bikes around get in some mischief and then come back. And we'd pretty much go house to house to house until we'd get kicked out of the house, go on to the next house, another one. And so that's what we pretty much would do every every holidays, every summer. I remember the pool was $2. Mum would give us $5 for the day. Yeah. 
So we'd get in the pool, have some lunch, and if we got bored, she goes, just go to your nan's house, which is down the road. And nan didn't know we were coming. So right. we'd just rock up and she'd kick us out. She'd go, I'm sick of you being here, so kick us out. Then we'd just be roaming the streets of Bernie. Until Whatever it was you like, could find. Yeah, until it was like dark and we have to go home for dinner what were you into when you were a kid like were you we were a sporty kid uh, yeah i was very sport my my, my dad uh made us play sports a yep. lot and i think that was a part of it was keep us off the streets it was like play sports play team sports so i play this is so i played basketball and football and cricket and i did little athletics and so basketball was i was in two different teams so right. i had my local team and then i played in the what they called intertown so Bernie would play against Devonport and Olveston and Penguin and Wynyard and Smithton. Right. And Latrobe. And and you'd just go every Sunday we'd play and this was from under twelves to under under eighteens, but I, I stopped at under sixteens because I got a job. And so that was we'd play on Sundays, train on Thursdays, but then in my local league we played the Havenview Hawks <laughs> and I played from age five up until sixteen. Yeah. And it was Monday night training, Friday night playing. Right. And so that's Monday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday. And then football would play for school when I was in high school. Saturday morning football and training would be on Wednesday. Wow. And so it was only Tuesday night that I would have off from any sport. And as a family, we would go and watch the men's basketball team play on Tuesday. The men's and women's actually play on Tuesday nights. Was that with someone that you knew? There was someone in those teams that you knew? No, they were like the, they were like the local celebrities. These men who were playing against the other teams, the intertowners. That was it. Yeah, that was what it was. <laughs> yeah, and and what would happen in those this league was called NWBU Northwest uh, Basketball Union, and they'd get one what they called an import player, right? And it would be someone from America, like a college student who wasn't good enough to play anywhere else. Yeah. So they'd fly them down to these small Tasmanian towns, and you think this is must have been the most depressing life. Like you're living in New York and then you fly to Smithton, which yep. is like just farms yeah. and you're playing in a barn pretty much. I'm not, I'm, I doubt they got paid much because yeah. a lot of them did jobs as um, relief teachers. Right. Because okay. I had a college education. So you could, yeah. I remember there was a man called Ron Hazelwood who uh, was an import player, tallest man I've ever seen in my life. And when he, he taught at our school one day and he spent the whole day just signing autographs for people and kids didn't know who he was. I was like, you're tall, you must be famous. Just going to sign autographs. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's so funny. Must have been so weird for him, but he just kind of went along with just, it. Yeah, I'll, I'll sign this. Yeah, I'll sign this. Yeah. Ron Hazelwood. Felt like a superstar for yeah. one day. Yeah. <laughs> after like after being in sport and, and doing that for, for a long time, did you stick to one sport or were you kind of No, moved on? I, it was that thing. It, was like, it wasn't sport because I, I was either good or I, – I, I did love it, but it was more we all – all the kids just played – Sport yep. that I hung out with. There was a, like, I remember playing cricket, hating cricket. I hated cricket. Yeah. Like, because it was, I, I liked it in a backyard with a tennis ball. Yeah. But when it, it's a cricket ball, it's it's scary. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever play cricket? No, I never played cricket, no. Well, but it was kind of, it was boring to watch. Boring to watch. I, I used to, I used to like bowling because right. the ball's going away from you. It's didn't way like, better. Way didn't better like thing. batting. The pads were too small for me. I couldn't. I was little kids. Couldn't yep. get the pads. I couldn't run in the pads properly. Yeah. And so I had to wear the wicketkeeper pads. And I'd walk up, come out to bat, and the umpire and the other players go, they're, they're the wicketkeeper pads. I'm like, I know, but they come over my knees so I can, yeah. And then I'd be in the outfield, and in Tasmania, they had these birds called plovers. 
Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. In the mainland? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I, I had on, on Phillip Island where I grew up with yeah. brothers. And they we did, go and Yes. Yeah. And kids would go and chase them with sticks. Yeah. And I hated them. Oh, I was so scared of them. Yeah, yeah. And me it too. Was, it was a thing where when it was plover season, kids in mine would go, let's go get swooped by plovers. Yeah. And I... F- it was a pastime. I hate... And because plovers are, are ground... They nest on the ground. They don't nest in trees. Dumb idiots. <laughs> they don't know about the trees. <laughs> no, get up in the trees. Anyway, so I would be in the outfield and I did this only once. I took an umbrella with me so the plovers couldn't attack me from behind because I had the umbrella up and I could still see. And my coach yelled at me and said, get the umbrella. Nah, men don't have umbrellas. This wow. was the kind of stuff I was growing up in. Yeah. 94. Men, men don't have brollies. Men don't wear men don't have umbrellas. Men wear raincoats. Wow. Yeah. The, I, I remember actually a friend of mine that was always a bit destructive. He, he was the kid that like poured gasoline on a fire when we we're all sitting around it. But he had like a peewee fifty and he oh, yeah. he was on that and he had a branch and he was chasing the plovers. Yeah. You know, he was running around and, and then on a motorbike and yeah. then like it's so insane. Well, my brother was that kid. My right. my older brother was Really, really reckless yep. growing up. He's completely mellowed out now and quite normal. But yep. as like he would do, like I remember when he got his license, we had we would have the cops coming around because he would do stuff like turn his lights off and drive down streets, and people right. complain, and yep. they'd they'd come along, and my parents have to lie saying, "No, no, he's been here the whole time. It must be someone in the street just with a vendetta against him." And I remember once he took a slipstream, but the the wrong way, so he couldn't see around the corner. And it's a real death wish. Yeah, of course. But also that dumb, youthful kind of, I'm invincible. So he's very, yeah. very lucky. He was never in a major accident or any accident, I don't know. Yeah, and he always had your parents as an alibi no matter what he was doing. Oh, he absolutely yeah. got completely, like, yelled at when the cops left. Yeah. Like, yeah, which was probably worse. Like, the cops thought they could find him, but yeah. But yeah. Thought, yeah. Who were you hanging out with at school? You said they all kind of played sports. Yeah, so there was uh, I, so there was Ryan and Jason and Kynan <laughs> and Nick and Justin yeah. and Dion and Nigel and Shannon and so yeah, what a big group of friends it was. It really yeah. was, and it was funny because we all hung out in the same area. Like at our school, there was like this thing called we, it was called the cave, and all it was was a little uh, alcove, like enclave. Alcove. What's the oh enclave? I think enclave. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Near the science rooms, right. And the year 10s every year would hang in there and it was like a sandstony brick and you could carve your name into the brick and you just saw like kids and it was the cool kids hung there. And in year nine, my group moved in there before the year 10s did and we were like, no, we're going to play here. Yeah. Like we're we're hanging out here in the cave. The best spot. And we had our names there. I remember carving your name in and being really cool. Would have taken weeks with all of your friendship group. But then we realised this sucks because we want to go and play kick the footy or play basketball. And so we've got to stick here. you got to hold your ground. Yeah, and just talk to each other in the cave. It sucked. Um, (laughs) So that was our – and it was kind of this thing where in high school especially, like it was quite a big friendship group because we pretty much played – Sport, like markings yep. up, which was just one person at the end, kick it down. Whoever yep. marked it, they go at the end and they get to kick it. Yeah, British Bulldogs was a big thing. Every every year came in and every year the teachers went, all right, no more British Bulldogs. Yeah, we but had the they, same thing at my school. But they yeah. just forget every year. Yep. Instead of just going at the start of the assembly, all right, no British Bulldogs. Remember from last year? My kids' school is the same with Pokemon cards. Really? Every year Pokemon cards are popular in term one. And then every year there's a note going home saying, please wow. don't bring Pokemon cards because the older kids are stealing them from the younger kids. Every year it's the same Every thing. Every year, the same thing. It's like Groundhog Day. Yeah. yeah. 
Yep. As you were getting older, what what were you more interested in? I I uh so realizing that music like sport I love sport, but it wasn't like it didn't didn't move in the same way that music did. I was really yep. into music mm-hmm. and I, I thought music was a lot cooler. I grew up in town, which was so what happened in in Tassie, high school's up until year ten. And then you go to a different campus for uh, college, they call it. So yep. it's 11, 12. And 11 and 12, it was called Heli College where the arts were really appreciated there. Yeah. And all the cool kids were in the arts. And I always did – I really liked drama yeah, growing okay. up and all that kind of stuff. And did so your friends like it as well or was it just kind of you that – Me and my friend Justin were both yep. in like drama class. And Dion was as well. But Dion, not as much as us. Yeah. But me and Justin were always like – when it was a school play – always have roles, which is like we just wanted to be the funniest. Yeah, sure. Both of us went on to be professional comedians. Yep. Yeah. So it was that thing of like, even though I think Dion is the funniest out of all of us. Oh, <laughs> right, I just want yeah. that on record. Anyway. <laughs> but um, – and then I'd like Triple J came out and that was very cool and Heartbreak High. Yep. And uh, there was a bunch of kids at, at Heli College who were into rollerblading. Rollerblading, it's so funny. So in Bernie, rollerblading was really popular – more so than skateboarding. Yeah, sure. Because we had – and there was a guy who I became friends with in year 12. He came to Hellier when I was – he was year 11, I was year 12. Uh, my good friend called Giannis Vovos. That's his real name and he yep. was a professional inline skater. Right, okay. And so because he was so charismatic and so cool, it just kind of – people just gravitated towards him because he was a really good skater, like yep. inline skater. Everyone went, oh, I want to do this instead of skateboarding. Where you go a town over and everyone's going, why are you rollerblading? That sucks. <laughs> well, yeah. would you? Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, there was a bunch of it. And I, in year 10, got a video camera as a, like, I saved up my money. My parents said, if you can save up half your money, we'll pay the other half. Yep. And so I would go, I couldn't, I couldn't really skate, couldn't do any tricks. I could go forward, couldn't go backwards. It's almost a trick to yeah. some. Yeah. But I had a video camera mm. with a fisheye lens and that was all these guys. Fisheye fish lens. Fisheye lens. Because wow. all the skating videos had fisheye lenses. And so of course, I would of course I did. skate behind them and, and film their tricks and then we'd go and watch it back home. Would you film it by skating? Did you yes, have like I was on the skates, yeah. yeah. So I'd be moving along with them and trying to hold it really straight. And, and yeah. Wow. Would you edit them yourself? Edit is a strong. We'd just sure. go and watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. 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 Do you remember making a video yourself? Did you yes. move into making comedy things? Yeah. As well? So yeah. I remember uh, doing a video of uh, an only child playing backyard cricket and doing the. All right, I'm bowling and just film me bowling and then cut. Then great. go the batting and just chuck the and then bat and then catch it. And yeah. it was like that was it. Yeah. Because there was a, there was a TV show called Something Hot Before Bed. Which was a comedy stand-up show, but they right. also had sketches in between some of them. Right, and the sketches were by a group which were from Tasmania. Right, okay. And it was a guy called Craig Wellington and, and John X, and John X went on to be in the Lion King in the um, Australian version. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Really, really like anyway. So they would do sketches, and it was like this thing of like opening my eyes, going, "Oh, you can be in Tassie and do." Comedy and do sketches. Yeah, yeah. And so I started. That's kind of like yeah, because I, I always was even as a like in high school, always gravitated towards comedies. So do, who were you watching with with comedy? Who did who did you and your friend Justin see? Jim Owen. Yep. Actually, in year eight, went and saw Jim Owen live at the Bernie Civic Centre. Your parents took you? No, went on my own. Wow. Front row tickets. <laughs> okay. Me and Justin went together. Yep. It was my birthday present. Mum got me two tickets and I said, I'm going to take Justin. I think Dad was like, oh, I thought I was going to come. 
which I look back on now and go, Jamoan must have hated that. Yeah. Coming out and, it, oh, there's two fucking kids in the front row. This sucks. But you would have been so happy to be there. So Loved it so much. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the Late Show was huge as well. So that was 93 when I watched, like, yeah. 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 And I remember talking about it with an English teacher just going on. I, 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 he said something and I said some joke about uh, Piss Week World or something like that. Yeah. And he made a joke back to me. I'm like, oh, this guy watches The Late Show. Yeah. This guy's cool. And that's all he that's all yep. he knew. I remember in – we had to do this thing. I forget what it was called, but it was in English. It was like this term-long project. Where you picked a topic and you had to write an essay about it, yep. do a creative piece, and then some, I can't remember what else it we, was. We did the same thing. Yeah. I can't remember what it was called, but we yeah. did a similar thing to that. So in year nine, I did it on comedy. Yep. And in year 10, I did it on humour. And I did the same thing. Wow. Both years in a row. What did you do? I, I remember – the essay, because it was so funny, because you had to use like, um, get like actual examples and use like different books and get you show all your researches and references and stuff like that. And there was a book, there was a, a bunch of scripts in a book in the library, and it was, um, oh, what was it called? It was a political show, Drop Dead Donkey or something like that. Okay, right, right. It's on SBS. I never watched it, but I just used all the stuff from that because yep. it seemed like it was smart. Yeah, sure. On SBS. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, And then I remember, this is really bad, but my, one of my creative pieces, because I knew that they didn't, wa- no one in the school watched this show, Something Hot Before Bed. Yeah. So I just transcribed, I think it may have been a Marty Sheargold piece. I just wa- wrote it down and that's, I yep. said, this is my creative, um, my, yeah, creative piece, my fictional piece, whatever it is. This is what I would say if I was a stand-up comedian and just plagiarized it and wow it. yeah good marks no pretty pretty they could tell i phoned it in yeah well, the marty sheagull's got a very harsh yeah. <laughs> harsh evaluator <laughs> I, I don't think i added too much yeah to it i just was like i wasn't i was a quiet kid in class and a bit cheeky but well behaved yeah and because i was especially in bernie because i was like well behaved they just went oh josh is fine yeah but didn't really go actually he's he's falling behind here yeah like yeah when when for you so you kind of had i guess sport kind of fell by the wayside is that's a hobby for me yeah what about music and comedy where did you decide to chase one or what were you like in high school where were you going i only i didn't play music i just liked music all right and i liked i used to buy juice magazine And I liked – it was more the fashion of it as well. Okay. It was like, yep. cool, I want to get green hair, like yep. Green Day. I want to – yeah, and it was – I want to wear, like, op shop clothes, like Jebediah. That's pretty yeah, what sure. it was. Wow. And it was like, this is a way to stand out from the pack and kind of mm-hmm. go, I'm different from everyone else and yep. try and get girls to notice me. That's yeah, pretty right. much what it – yeah. I always remember – Very superficial. <laughs> I remember seeing Russell Brand on covers of magazines, like when I was on Phillip Island growing yep. up, and I always thought he was a musician. Yeah. And it wasn't until so much later I was like, oh, no, he's a comedian. I just always imagined he was a musician in my head. It's so funny. Tim Minchin talks about when he started comedy, he kind of didn't really think about his look. Yeah. And then uh, he went, I better do this. And so the comedian he knew look at was Noel Fielding. Went, oh, I'm just going to copy Noel Fielding. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so you weren't playing music. I wasn't or... playing music until I, when I got to uni, I met a girl called Megan and we would start a day. We dated for four and a bit years. And for Christmas that year, she bought me an acoustic guitar. And it was almost like a challenge because I was so snobby about music. We were both really snobby about music. But she was like, hey, here's a guitar. Go, put your money where your mouth is then. Yeah. Were you so 19 or? 18. Yeah. Uh, yeah, turning 19 next year. And 
I started doing comedy songs because I thought, well, even if they're no good, I can yeah. kind of go, oh, well, they're just comedy songs. They're yep. not really that important. And But then um, then that kind of started taking over a bit, yeah. What, what were the comedy songs like when you started? Very – do you know the band The Locksmiths? Yes. Yeah, 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 very much like that in that right, kind okay. of style. Uh, I had a song called uh, – what was it? Video City of Love. There was a video shop in Tassie, a chain yep. called Video City. And I wrote a song about having a crush on the girl who worked there. Right. And going in every week to get five weeklies and hoping she noticed I, re- I rewind <laughs> and doing a lot of bad – it wasn't good. And then there's another one which is about um, board games. All, they're all very nerdy but all very yep. like – because I was doing a drama – I d- did a theatre degree. I was doing drama. And so it was that, oh, if I do lots of wordplay and this will be really funny. And it was all kind of – when I did them live – I mean, I started in Launceston doing comedy. Yeah. And so there weren't a, any other comics. So and your so, first gig was in Launceston. Yeah, Launceston. So a friend, what was the gig? A friend of mine was doing a zine called Clunk. Okay. His name is Rick Sheshi. He's a very good artist. Um, and he was like, hey, I'm doing a little fundraiser for my zine. Um, so I'll go back a bit. So when I finished my theatre degree, a bunch of us did this thing called BGN7250. And 7250 is uh, Launceston's postcode. BGN stood for Bogan. And it was a a kind of improvised soap opera. Right. So the f- so what we'll do is we all had characters and my character was called Chooker. Yep. And I was uh, uh, from Zeeam, which is a, a West Coast town. And we were living in a house. And so the first half was kind of devised. We worked on it that week and then we'd have a break and we'd say to the audience, suggestions, put your suggestions in the hat, we'll pull them out of the hat, what should happen next? And I remember these shows being jam-packed at the Royal Oak. Right. So like 150 people jam-packed in this room wow. and it just being wall-to-wall laughs. Yeah. That may have been just me reflecting now. It may have just been like minutes of bombing. Sure. But I remember at the time. Yeah. And so in that I would do a comedy song every week. And so it was a good thing. And that was before wow. – Anyway, so Rick saw me there. He said, I'm doing this uh, fundraiser. Do you want to do stand-up at it? Wow. So I just had all the songs that I did. So I did like five songs and a bit of talking in between, but not much. But me and Megan had just broken up. Okay. In a quite horrific way. And I was really depressed. Yeah. And so the songs were funny and then I'd be talking about, oh, yeah, I'm, I, yeah I wanted to fucking neck myself. And people found it very funny. Right. Endearing, yeah, say. sure. A guy was in the audience who worked at the uni and was like, hey, next month Rod Quantock's coming to uh, the uni to play at the uni bar. Would you like to be his host? Host it. Yeah. And I was like, absolutely. And so that was – so the clunk gig was the first gig. Rod Quantock was second. And Rod was like, if you're serious about doing comedy, you should move to Melbourne. And so I then – because I was halfway through a teaching degree, I went, I'm going to move to Melbourne. I'm not – and I finished the degree. You finished theatre or you finished the teaching I finished theatre. Yeah. I'd already finished theatre and so we'd been doing this thing. And so this was like a, I was two years into my second degree, which yeah. was like all it was. And so I finished that but rushed the last six months because like I'm just going to do the six months in two months and then get out of here because I couldn't. Because yep. Megan was also living in Tassie. So I've got to – I can't be – I can't be in the same state. Yeah. That's how bad the breakup was. And then – um. Yeah, and then so then I went back down though because I'd been booked to do Falls Festival because people at the Hobart Comedy Festival saw me do the support for Rod. Mm. I mean, you should come down to the Hobart Comedy Festival, which wasn't really 
it's not like a comedy festival like Melbourne. It was like one show, but it was like three weeks and you did like, it was a lineup show. Yeah. And it was great. It's where Hannah Gadsby started as well. Yeah. Uh, and they would bring down, I remember that year they brought down Charlie Pickering, um, Kim Hope and uh, Justin Hamilton. Right. Saw, the, all, saw all those three there. Yeah. Yeah. Had your friends moved to Melbourne as well when you actually made the move? Uh, I had I had some friends in Melbourne, yeah. Yep. So a bunch of not my um, not my high school friends, some of my college friends had moved there. So I lived with uh, one of them and then two of their friends. Yeah. Did you get a job straight away in Melbourne? I got it. Yeah. So my friend who was li- who I was living with, she had left a job at a school. Yeah. Doing the homework program, and so she said, "But I've got someone who could do it. He's a trained teacher." And I, and it was so that was from three to six every day. And it was perfect. Yeah, so I was doing yeah. comedy at night, three to six every day. That's all I needed. Yeah. How did it feel being in Melbourne doing comedy? Melbourne, it was – it. F- I only did the local. For yeah. the first year of my career, I did the local every month and that was it. Wow. And okay. I, and I didn't really even get, try and get gigs elsewhere. Right. Now I look at all these gig pigs and doing like six, seven shows a week. Yeah. Like doing like four in a night, bouncing around. I'm like, oh, I – I just didn't have that drive. No, yeah, gig pigs. I I I remember just not wanting to do any more than one gig a night. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. the idea of doing four. I remember I saw Nick Kappa once, ran into him, and he said he'd just come back from his fourth gig. Yeah. And was on the way somewhere else. I get the anxiety of, I'm going to be stuck in traffic and miss the gig. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or Also, you don't leave on a high, like your fourth gig is the worst one. Yep. (laughs) You're trying to find another one. Yeah. I mean, the... Probably makes you a better comedian doing all of them, but I at the time also I was I was twenty two and I was like I'm living in Melbourne. I just want to go and see bands, yeah, and yeah, do did, do Melbourne stuff. Did you think that comedy was going to be the career? What what at that point was happening in your life? I, I was very happy working, uh, doing the job and doing comedy, and it was like the fun thing to do. And I didn't really think of it as a career until four five years into doing it. Right. What was that moment? It was just I was talking to. Comedian friends who are like, you've got to just uh, not have a plan B. you just got to do it. Right. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, cause I'm living a really not. I was working at the school then. I was working in the library there. Yeah. So same job, uh, but like just same school, I mean, but just in the library instead. And, you know, you get like 12 weeks holiday pay and I was in the library, so what? I wasn't doing any lesson planning. So yeah. I, I left my job at school and then had to, the night's free. It's, it was Annual great. leave, it's amazing. Yeah, it was yeah. really, really good. And then I was like, oh, and then I went to Edinburgh and saw it. I went, oh, actually, no, I, I do really want to do this yeah. proper. And um, so I quit the job at the library and was just doing comedy for about a year and a half. And it done quite well. Like, yep. did the gala, did a really – and then I was like, I'm just mentally – I need another thing to concentrate on. Yeah. So I'm not yeah. concentrating on myself the whole time. So then yeah. I got a job at a, at the State Library. Yeah, right. But that okay. was just a casual job as well. Yeah. And so moving on from there then, you're, you're doing comedy. That's going well. Yeah. Was it a passion, do you think, at that time? Like, yeah, yeah. I was ob- look, I, I was ob- obsessed with watching comedy and yep. being a fan of comedy. Yeah, yeah. And then – but that thing of going – and it may have been because of where I grew up, like going, well, people from Bernie aren't comedians. Yeah, sure. Like, yep. I don't know anyone who's, this is their job. Yeah. So I remember my, my parents, my mum, when I was uh, like year six or seven, came for a, on a girl's trip over here to <laughs> Melbourne, yeah. the big smoke, and came back when I found the perfect job for you, Josh. 
I went to Dracula's Theatre Restaurant and it's great because you could do your drama stuff but yeah. also have a job. And that's... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's really what it like. So I was allowed to do theatre at uni on the proviso that I did teaching afterwards. Right. That was the only way. Like, because theatre was not a career. Yeah, okay. Like, teaching's a career. Drama teacher, I can see that. Yep. But... Being an actor, no, doesn't make any sense. No, that's that's Hollywood stuff. When did your parents start to see it as a career? Did they did they start to come to your shows a lot? They no, because they're in ta- they they've came a f- they came a few times in Tassie, but they wouldn't watch the show. They just watch everyone laughing and tell me that oh they were laughing at that. They were laughing, and they're very proud. Yeah, they were supportive in their own way, but I think they're just parents who cared. Going, is this like? Are you making money though? My dad still asks. Are you making everyone do? Are you, do they pay you for that? Like, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm getting paid now. Yeah, I think it was when I got uh, Spicks and Specs was when it was like, oh, this is this is a real a real job. Yeah, sure. But it was funny because my dad, like, because he worked for the newspaper at the time. He was selling advertising for the newspaper in Burning, just the local paper, and he was like, oh, I've, I've got I've got a story. Uh, they're doing a story on you, Josh. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to. Like, you got to go through the ABC. I don't like. I can't just go and do stories. He goes, oh no no no. I, I've, and he was quoted and saying, oh, he had a hard like struggled as an artist, living on nothing. And I'm like, no, I wasn't. I was working all the way yeah, through yeah. this. Like it was supported myself. Yeah, as a it's this yeah. thing of like the struggling artist. I mean, it's it, there are different struggles, but it, financially, it wasn't like oh. I'm, Bare bones, living off carrots for a week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How did um, Spicks and Specs come about? I did. I did uh, enough comedy festival shows, and I think enough people knew that I was into music. And I think also, uh, Alan Bro and Adam Hills had I'd done gigs with them, and yeah. they were like, "Oh, he does music." And so I think for that a show like that, you're like, we need comics who can do something to close the show as well. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. And so I, I think look. I did the last, the second last episode they aired before they brought it back with me, but it was that thing. I did the second last episode, but it was the last one they'd filmed. Right, okay. And as they were walking out, Hilsey was like, hey, I don't know why, they, they should just recast it and have Josh as the host. And one of the producers heard that and went, oh, we'll slot that away. And then I was asked to audition. I was asked to help out first. Right. They said, oh, we're doing some workshops. Would you like to help out? I went, oh, yeah, I'm happy to do it. It's a, it was a fun pretend um, on the TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they sent me the script and it was like host and it was my name. And I was like, oh, okay, so this is a proper audition. And so I went in going, I'll never get this job. This is so – it would be fun to pretend for an afternoon. Yeah. And so I did two sh- two episodes to pretend and then uh, – do you know John Olb? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah great I guy. I used to work for him. Well, he was directing it and he – in the bathroom stalls after the second one was that, you know, that was fantastic, just so you know. Like, you're really, really, really good at this. I said, oh, thank you very much. And kind of went, oh. They called me back in another time. I was like, oh, this is – and then the third time was the first time I actually got nervous about it. I oh, this could actually happen. Yeah. And then it was like about a month where they were going to deliberate and talk to the ABC. And then they yeah. finally called and said, yep, you've got it. And so I was super happy. And then the season went – it's fine. The season was fine. Yeah. We were improving. You were great. 
improving as we go. Yeah. Uh, and then it all went, and it was a messy ending because they kind of announced it when my son was born. Yeah, sure. Not a great way to deal with those two things. One's meant to be the happiest day of your life, and this was like a real career kind of low. Yeah. And so it was, yeah, that that, that was a bit stinky. Yeah. But yeah, but really happy I did it. And that's the yeah. thing. People, it's so many, so funny people like you just did will come up and go, well, I liked it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah most people did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah it was yeah, just... Yeah. It wasn't the big hit that the original one was, which yeah, is sure. always going to be the case. Yeah, well, it was a hard thing because they were airing the old one as they were like you know it was yeah. it was a difficult a difficult thing yeah. for for you when when that ended was that was that a bit of a blow to be like this is oh this yeah the worst yeah. yeah although I kind of thought oh well I'll go on the road and I'll do stand up was always the thing and I, I think people don't believe me but it was like I always only wanted it. To propel the stand-up career. Yeah. I was like, yep. if more people see me, they'll come out into my live shows and that's where I really, really want to be. Yep. Um, and then I did a, a very badly organised uh, run of dates in like Brisbane, Sydney and Hobart. Right. Very poorly attended, which really sh- rocked my confidence and so just going out and going, oh, this sucks. And then, yeah, sure. Yeah, and then in Hobart, I thought, oh, you know, hometown king. So, so dumb. Uh, and did like four shows where I should have just done one and, and had it packed. Yeah. But I did four, which were all like a quarter to a third full and went, oh, this is, what am I doing? And yeah. I, had, I had my family down there and like Henry was only like six weeks old. I'm like, oh, I should have just, we should have just stayed home. Yeah, yeah. That would have been a really hard moment though to come from that and then yeah. suddenly you're going through that. And yeah. A, a lot of different things happening at the same time. Yeah. Is this what the show is, by the way? Am I going too far? Deep? No, no, okay, no, 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 no. This is what the show is. Yeah, it's great. talking about the biggest moments in oh, your good. life. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> so, so for you going from that, so... Spicks and Specs was finished, and, you, and I know I'm sorry to bring that up, but That's you've right. spoken you've spoken a bit about that experience, and you know it was really hard experience at the time. Then after that, was that when you started your podcast? Yeah, so I started. Uh, Don't you know who I am? In 2015, no, 2014. Yeah, right, so yeah, so the show we got told. So May 30 was when I got told, and so then the ABC kind of asked me for a meeting, and they it was really weird. They kind of pitched me this show they wanted me to be involved in. I said, I don't care about that kind of stuff. Yeah. This show never got made, by the way. Right. Uh, I, don't, I don't care about that. Real house husbands of Melbourne. Yeah. yeah. But, but it was almost, I could see the woman shocked that I said no. It was almost like, oh, but don't you want to be on TV? And I was like, oh, if it's something I'm, I think I could do. I don't yeah, just want to be yeah. on there and not be good at something. Yeah. Um, and so I went away from that meeting going, all right, let's, I'll try and pitch something. I'll try and pitch a panel show, which I think one, Australia was lacking. And two, my thing with doing uh, the panel shows is that as a guest, you're very nervous about, am I going to get my stuff on? Yeah, sure. Can I work out what? And so I did a show where I was like, all the questions are about the guests' lives. Yep. There's a game show element, so it's, there's a reason to kind of move on and listen to all the way through. Yep. And it's just a way of – because I know comedians have really good stories and going, well, let's just showcase the story. And also a way that they don't feel like they're shoehorning in the story. It's I set you up and then they can just go, right, this is the story. Yeah, yeah. And so I thought that's – and then um, did did a few before I released it. One, The first one was very funny. So the last round was just kind of a quiz. And then I played it to someone and I said, why is 
all the rest of the show about the people and then the last one's just general knowledge. Why don't you make the questions about these four as well? Yeah, yeah. Oh, and that's, that's very smart. And so yeah. the very first episode is just a quiz at the end and then and from then on I uh, yeah had it. So it was, um, yeah, just about the people. Yeah, when did you decide to do it as a podcast instead of a, you know, a TV panel idea? I thought I can do a podcast. I'd um, been working in radio. I'd been working on Triple R for like five years before yep. that. So I knew how to panel and do all that kind of stuff. So yep. I thought podcast is probably a, a good way to test it yep. and do it this way and iron out all the kinks and also have something that they can actually look at and go, oh, yeah, I get what this is now. Because it's so hard to go in and give an, like an elevator pitch of like 60 words, this is what the show is. Because yep. it's always – if you can really sum up what the show is in 60 words, it's either like a really hacky premise that they go, yeah. oh, yeah, I get it, like, or yeah, yeah. it's not what the show's going to be. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And after that, you went and did a great show called um, Josh Earl Talks. Yes. What was the, what was the, the idea behind that show? Because, you know, I, I'd kind of – I remember when I first met you, you were doing stand-up, but also you'd get the guitar out. Musical comedy, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. So it was – I did a show in – so in 2015, I did a show called Square Peg and I did songs. And the songs were really good. I'm really happy with the song. And then in 2016, I did a show called Over Under. Yep. And that was fine. The songs were fine, but I was like really enjoying the stand-up in between. Yep. Then in 2017, I was I – got, I got to a stage where I was not embarrassed, but I wasn't in a good space. Yep. And it was like I, I like writing. The performing aspect I didn't really enjoy that much. So I wanted uh, someone else to sing the songs for me because I thought, well, this will take it to another level. Mm-hmm. And so I got Daniel Tobias from De Rotten Puncta and the show was called Josh Earl's Festival and it was going to be a whole festival in an hour. So we were going to do all the different bands you'd see at a festival and then in between was sketches about the kinds of things that happen at a festival. So it was me pretty much being in the wrong line for drinks, trying to get tokens, just yep. losing my friends and – they were all phone calls, so I was just talking to a voice and they all ended with, all right, yeah, uh, we're about 10 minutes left at the sound desk on this. St-. Anyway, I think it's a really good show, but just people didn't come and it was right. really kind of embarrassing. And I'm like, fuck, this is, I think musical comedy might be on the way out. And also I wasn't really enjoying it as much. So a very complicated show as well. Yeah, it was high, high concept, although it was pr- also so many costumes and stuff like that. Like, yeah, sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we had such high production values. We had like fucking confetti cannons going off. Wow, and okay. Like, yeah, anyway. And then I thought, well, having done the podcast and people were like, oh, you've got really crazy stories, mm. I'll try and do a show about that. And I, I thought, because growing up I had eight years of speech therapy as a kid. Yep. And I thought that's something that I hadn't really talked about. And it had come up because the big uh, negative kind of reviews of me hosting the TV show was that I, sp- I speak really fast, which I don't think it is. I think it's the clarity. I think there's a bit of a Tassie accent that right. me and Hannah and Luke McGregor all have. We yeah. all have this kind of different like little accent going on. Because I, I do know that the, um, the woman who would do the uh, auto cue. She said, just so you know, you're not as fast as Sean McAuliffe. Yeah, right. I do his as well and I'm moving a lot faster for him. So yep. just so you know, it's not it's not you going too fast. Just yep. don't don't listen to the to the haters. And <laughs> so I thought, oh, because I, I did mention to the ABC, oh, this just so you know, this is what's going on. And not to be I thought, oh, they could probably spin that going, hey, for everyone who's shitting on him for 
uh, not being able to understand him or whatever. He mm. has speech apraxia and had eight years of speech therapy as a kid. It's actually pretty pretty crazy that he can actually host a show. So yeah. just there you go. So um, I thought, oh, well, I've got that story. And so I, I, I started writing about that and then all this other stuff came out of it by going, look, I'm talking about what happens when your family don't talk. And then I had a bunch of stuff about not getting the talk at school yep. and all that kind of at home as well. And so that show uh, was – I really loved doing that because it was like, all right, been doing comedy for since 2004 to 2019, so 15 years, and then changing up what I did. And it was, it was great. I yeah. really, really, and it's and now I did another show uh, last year in the festival – uh, or this year actually, uh, no, last year, uh, Modern Contemporary, which is also no music as well. It was just yep. stand-up. So, and that's probably where I'll go. Although I have been writing songs for a kid's show that, I, yeah. um, that I'm doing in the festival. So, yeah, I'm still doing songs. Yeah. Uh, w- at the moment, like, do you think that you doing just straight stand-up, does that feel weird that you finally got there? Did you always think you are kind of a musical comedian or I, is it different it, for you? It's interesting because I had... Someone, another comedian, very early on, like say 2006, I did a show up in Sydney and he goes, just so you know, you're funny enough without the guitar. I don't think you need the guitar. And I was like, yeah, but the guitar adds something yeah. more. Like yeah. it's like I get gigs because they went, oh, we need a musical comedian. We'll put it on, which was a real thing in the, that was the diversity right. in the in the uh, 2000s. Right, okay. Music. Yeah. Not, it wasn't like race or sexuality it was like oh we've got a musical comedian that's our diversity so remember there's like smart casual there was smart casual there was bedroom uh, philosopher bedroom philosopher who's justin who i, I was all right with, yeah. yes and then you've got tripod tripod and, you know, huge and then yeah. there was the scaredies the scared little guys because i remember one of the early gigs that kind of like gave me some exposure in the live scene in melbourne was this thing called laugh a palooza which chris mcdonald chris mcdonald who still um manages comedy at buckstock uh he put on all these musical comedians so it was right the lineup. This was two thousand and four. Yeah, two thousand four. It was or five. I, I don't know. So it was me, Bedroom Philosopher, Tripod, Eddie Perfect, Tim Minchin hosting before people knew who Tim Minchin was. Yeah. Sammy J, Sam Simmons. Wow. Yeah. So that was, and it was that thing. So Sam Simmons wasn't a name. Sammy J wasn't either. Uh, Tim wasn't. Eddie, and it was like this thing of we all kind of just and. Those guys went on to do amazing stuff. Yeah, yeah. But it was interesting at one point every single person on that show had either hosted a TV show or done something yeah. big. Yeah, And so, yeah, it was very – I remember they would do it at a night at a, at um, a comedy festival and it was the, the, the hot ticket. There was like lines up because it was – I think Tim had sold out and so it was a right. way to see Tim do stuff. And Yeah, yeah. wow. Yeah. Has, has being a dad changed, changed your outlook on life? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah it, it definitely has. I mean, it's one, you kind of, you know, you see you see things through their eyes and you see how unfair things can be as well. Mm-hmm. So my youngest, uh, no, my eldest, I'll talk about him first. Uh, so he was diagnosed with Tourette's when he was four mm-hmm. and that was really hard and yeah. I didn't know anything about Tourette's apart from what I thought I knew from movies but which is not what it is. Yeah. And so his is more uh, motor tics than, than right. vocal tics. Um, and so – and just you kind of think this is not fair. This poor little kid has yeah. to kind of deal with this um, his whole life. But also you, wh- what it makes you be when you're a parent is uh, time is so precious. You're like going, I have this many hours in the day. I've got to 
devote enough time for them so they feel like they're actually seeing their dad. Yeah. Also, I've got to do the work and, you know, try and write and do all this kind of stuff. And also with my wife, spend time that we're not just becoming parents. We're actually yeah, still sure. a couple. And so I think it's really hard to try and balance it all. And there are times where I failed miserably, whatever it is. Like mm. there was a thing, I, I read it in a David Sedaris book, which was about the, the gas burner. Like they're saying, so say one burner is family, one is friends, one is health and one is career. Mm. You can only really have two going at once. Otherwise, yeah. they it's not going to burn bright. And so you really got to prioritise. Um, that might be a very simple way of looking at it. Mm. But if you do go, oh, what am I, pro- what, what I prioritising and yeah. what needs help? Let's like, yeah. So friends were the first to go. That was, yeah, that right. was the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> they're out. They'll come back. Yeah, like, if they're sure. real friends, we'll see them again. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I've got um, standard questions to ask on the podcast. Yes. And if you have answers for them, great. But if you don't, that's totally okay too. Uh, what trait do people do? You, I guess what trait in people are you drawn to the most? What do you like to see in people? Humor. It's always, yeah. yeah. Are, are they funny? Yeah. I can I can be friends with someone who I probably don't agree with a lot of their stuff as long as they make me laugh. Yeah, sure. And it's always that being drawn to either the naughty kid at the back of the bus kind of stuff. Yeah, I think yeah. there's a lot of a lot of comics who are that kid. Yeah, yeah. You're very good at handling those people as well. I mean, on your podcast, especially, don't you know who I yeah. am? You've got like four people on. Yeah, you're very good at wrangling the the naughty kids at the back of the bus. I think because I was a teacher, right? I trained as a teacher. Right. Yeah, I think yeah, that yeah. that helped me a bit. So always humor. You think is the I think the yeah hum- humor yeah humor and charm. Yeah, charming sure. people. I I do get sucked into charming people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you could choose to be born into the perfect environment, what would that look like? Do you think your childhood oh. was kind of the? No, I, I'm very happy. I had a very easy childhood compared yep. to a lot of people. I mean, we were pretty poor, but so was everyone. Yeah, like, yeah, was, sure. We was in that thing, and um, look, perfect. Look, it sounds very cynical, but if you were born into money, oh, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Makes so much stuff, so much stuff. I've never, never had money. So it's yeah. always been like, if I just had money, there would be a lot less stress in my life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, as I remember getting my like my first job and being so excited about it. Yeah. We're still happy that it, like I kind of worked from the age of 14, not yeah. illegally, but the age, of <laughs> the, the age of 14, like at a, a Chinese restaurant, I think, yeah. down my way. I was, was the same. Like I worked thing. at a supermarket when I was 15. It was 15 and nine months was the youngest. Oh, yeah, it was whatever it yeah. was. Yeah, and you're getting, getting your paid, own money. Like, Six dollars an hour, and I worked three hours Thursday night, three hours Friday night, and then all day Saturday. Yeah, and just going, oh, so good to have your own money. Oh, just the best. (laughs) Uh, What's your favorite thing about yourself? My favorite thing about myself, Um, I think I'm pretty kind. Yeah, pretty kind to people. I'm pretty loyal. That's another thing. I'm very loyal to people. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think those those are the big ones. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I like that about myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's something you could change about yourself if you could? I'd love to be taller. How cool right. If I, okay. I was laughing about this. If I, I reckon if I was 6'3", I wouldn't be doing comedy. I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd have enough confidence. I wouldn't yeah, be doing yeah, 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 yeah. something to that. Yeah. Uh, if I could change – honestly, though, if I could change something about myself, um, oh, look, maybe I'm pretty bad at keeping in contact with people. Right, okay. Yeah, there's a few friends I, I – talk to with but a lot of good friends and it is we're all busy yeah and so they don't blame me they're the same i I, as i say to my parents phones go both ways yeah you can call me as well Mm. but yeah i wish i was better at you know um you know navigating friendships and holding on to them i found that a bit like you know because i when i stopped doing 
comedy, like stopped doing stand up. Uh, I lost contact with a lot of comedy people. Yeah. And then it wasn't so until I started a comedy podcast. So I was like, oh, you can see these people every week. And then yeah. you're like, oh, it's not, that's not a healthy thing to. Well, that's what I found in the lockdowns as well. It was actually doing the podcast was good because I saw, yeah. I spoke to four different people once a week and it was yeah. really good for my mental health. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, who influenced you the most? Um, probably my friend Justin did. I mean, mm. in terms of like, because he, he was quite successful very early on in terms of he had uh, play on Triple J and stuff like that. And even though it wasn't like a influence in terms of I want to do exactly that, it was like, oh, it, it can be done. If you can see it, you can be it kind of thing. Sure, and so yeah. I think that was a big, big thing. Yeah, Because he was a bedroom philosopher. A bedroom right? philosopher, yep. yes. And you, and you were in it, did you do a few songs we, with him? We did a anything? duo together called The Renegades of Folk. And um, we, which was just a, we did it. We did a festival show together, right. um, and it was it was fun. But it was just that thing. We both wanted to do solo stuff more. Yeah, so sure. I was like, all right, we'll do this. Uh, who do you choose to surround yourself with now, and has that changed over time? Yes, it has. So I, it's it's really interesting. I had a manager, a man called Toby Sullivan, who wrote a thing about comedy. He'd been doing. He'd been working at the comedy festival for years. And he wrote a thing which uh, still stayed with me, which is like, don't try and join the group that's already a big thing. Like, make you make your own kind of groups, make your own cliques. Yeah. And that's what. And I think that was it. when I first started in comedy, the the cool group, the cool kids were your your Charlie Pickerings and your Michael Chamberlains, right? And yeah. Your, your Tom Gleason and, your, and all those, and it was like, oh. I, if I can hang out with them, that would be cool. And yep. they're all my friends. Yeah. But I'm the generation below them. Yeah, And so yeah. it was like Dave Thornton, Sammy J, Tommy Dasselow, uh, Silly Piccolo, all those people. And the, the, like, this is who, like, yeah, this is the group that I kind of started with and kind of, like, was moving through with. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love that. Uh, when, are you, when are you at your happiest? Um, happiest? This... Uh, Say probably look, probably on my own actually. Right. Yeah. yeah. Probably if I've got nothing on, and I can play guitar or yep. listen to music or do something like that. Yeah. Where I'm just like, oh, I don't have, to, I don't feel bad for doing this. Yeah. I have a nice electric guitar that I got for my fortieth. Right. I do like sitting in my office and just playing sad songs on that. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. That's when you're happiest. Yeah. It really songs. is. Yeah. yeah. When you your lowest? Well, the, uh, when I'm at my lowest, um, oh, look, it's it's more to do with uh, just being overworked and underslept. Uh, yeah. that's when I like. I look. I, I've, I'm very fit. Okay, I'm yeah. 41. And I'm the fittest I've ever been in my life. I yeah, reckon. yeah. And so, I get low when I get I have a bad back. Yeah, sure. And I get really down if I can't go and do stuff at the gym or I can't just, you know, walk around without being in pain. Yeah, sure. Because you think it's never going to end and I have to keep reminding myself it will. Yeah. Just give yourself time to recover. Yeah, yeah. And then you can go again. Are you are you mean to yourself when you don't go to the gym or you don't? Oh, I'm not mean. I, I get frustrated and it's is that thing of I don't drink and I don't, I don't have any – I don't do drugs. I don't have any yeah. vices like that. But I do love that endorphin rush of going and doing a really – like crazy workout session at the gym, yep. just sweating it up a lot. And like when I haven't done that for a couple of days, everyone in my house can tell. I'm a right. bit, a, just a bit 
snappy. Yeah, sure. A bit cranky. Things, yeah, yeah. things aren't put away in the right plot. I'm like, oh, yeah. why didn't – and like, yeah, that's, that's all it is. <laughs> uh, if you could pinpoint a moment in your life that had the greatest impact on you or influence on you, what would that be? <sighs> I would s- either watch – I know what it is. So in uni, my first uh, performing arts, the first thing we had to do was – Stand up comedy. That was the right. first thing they did. And wow. it was just get up on stage and talk about yourself. That's all it was. You couldn't yeah. do characters, you had to do that. And I remember the Comedy Festival Roadshow came into Launceston for the first time ever. And I watched that and I turned to Megan and said, I want to do that. And it wasn't until another four years later where I kind of realized how I could do it. Yep. But I reckon that was the moment that I'd always been into comedy, but it never clicked. I yep. wanted to. I wanted to be it. I was. Like, I just. I was just a fan, and then I was like, "No, no, I now want to do it." Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I've got two more questions. All right. uh, next one is: What is the hardest thing you've ever had to go through? Um, the the losing the job was really hard because it was so public. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I lo- I'd, I'd finished jobs earlier, but it wasn't as public, and so it was. It was the two years after that, dealing with who I am, the way people kind of. And comedy is a hard job because you introduced. I was introduced by my perceived failures. It's like he used to host Spicks and Specs. Right. He used to be on Triple R's Breakfasters, and you don't often get other jobs that don't introduce you as the jobs you've been fired from. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, so that was that was really hard, kind of like because I went. I had. I used to work at the State Library. I left that to go and do the Teeley. Then I went back to the State Library. My first day walking in. A guy and then went, ah, oh, but you don't want to be back here. I was like, no, I fucking really want to be back here. This yeah. is like saving my life being back here. Like, yeah. I, the kids don't, they didn't watch ABC. They don't know who I was. Like, and I just, that's why I did kids comedy as well because like these audience have no baggage. They're just like, yeah, this is someone on stage. Yeah. And so that was, yeah, really hard those two years after that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the last question is the question I asked at the start. So oh, yes. Uh, do you think that nature or nurture had the greatest impact on you? See, I, I, reckon, it's, I reckon it's nature. I reckon yeah. it's outside sources. Yep. I mean, my parents, very good people. Yeah. And they would do stuff. But I just think it's all the other influences around me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Josh Earl, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Where do people find you, thank you and your, your podcast? Okay, so I um, do a... I used to do a podcast called Don't You Know Who I Am, which I still do on Patreon. So go to patreon.com slash D-Y-K-W-I-A to hear people like Sam on there. <laughs> uh, but I do another podcast called 100% Hits Volume Pod, which is all about those 100% Hits compilations from the 90s all the way up until 2007. That's every single Thursday. You can hear that wherever you hear podcasts. And also you can follow me on, let's just say Instagram, because mm. who knows if Twitter's going to be around. Who knows? <laughs> Uh, so, Mr. Josh Earl is uh, where, and I'll be doing shows all over the country in this year. Oh, my goodness. Josh Earl, thank you so much for doing me on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Nature or Nurture for this week. My name is Sammy Peterson and you can follow me sampeterson91 on Instagram. I also have a comedy podcast called Confessions. You can find that. The handles are Confessions, the podcast on Instagram, TikTok and Facebook. You can also just search it on your regular podcast apps. Please do rate this podcast 
Uh, I would love that. It helps get the podcast out there to so many people. Thank you to the wonderful Michelle Laurie and Matthew Tankard. They're, they're great producers and I couldn't do this without them. Please do share this podcast around. I'd love to get it out there to as many people as possible. So please do share it with a friend and tell the person that you just heard on this podcast that you've really enjoyed hearing their chat. Thank you so much. Hope you have a good week and I will talk to you very, very soon. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.